Good morning. I'll just pop that water down. I'm Peter May, as Martin may have mentioned, um, and it's a privilege to be able to come and speak to you today about the bread of life. I'm more used to talking about medicine and the body, as I've recently become a GP, but food is pretty important to health, so I guess speaking on the bread of life is okay for me to be doing today. It's so exciting to be thinking about what that really means for us today. I'm not quite at full health myself today, and two days ago I could actually hardly speak. So bear with me a little bit, and if there's any squeaking or squawking, just try and ignore it, and we'll just carry on. So let's get going. In John 6, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. This is actually the first I am statement in the book of John, but fortunately the order doesn't really matter. As you may have noticed, this is the last talk in the series. Terry even mentioned this in his first talk, as each statement actually stands alone. So what have we heard so far in this series? We've heard that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the vine. I am the light of the world. Excuse me. And I don't know about you, but throughout this series, there's one theme shouting through time and time again. Jesus is the one. Jesus is all that we need. But before we get to this passage, I'd just like to set the scene a little bit for you. So all of this happens in John chapter 6, and it's all based in the region of Galilee. This is important because the Galileans were hard-working people. They labored hard for minimal money, and they were worried about whether they had enough money to get their food to eat. I do love a good bit of food, but we'll move on to that a little bit later. In the build-up to today's passage, we see Jesus and his disciples who have been trying to get away from the crowds, but the crowds followed them anyway because they were excited by Jesus' miracles and signs that he had been performing. Once the crowd had gathered... As you may remember, the feeding of the 5,000 that occurs at the beginning of John 6, with Jesus only using five small loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 plus people. It's 5,000 plus because they're only talking about the men, and there's actually women and children on top of that number. And then after this, the disciples get in a boat without Jesus and head for Capernaum. A storm then begins, unfortunately, and they're trying to row through this storm, and they're struggling. And then suddenly they see Jesus walking towards them on the water. And if that wasn't amazing enough, Jesus then hops on the boat, and immediately they arrive at their destination. Now, the passage that we're going to read then starts when this crowd that have been searching for Jesus again find him on the other side of the lake. So let's go straight in. We are reading from John 6, verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate your loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They then asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, 
the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you this bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up in that last day. So, moving on to the next slide, I have three key points today. The first key point is believe. Is Jesus the king of your life? The second is come to Jesus, and we're asking, where do we get our satisfaction from? And finally, the third is live eternally. Live it out for God now with the assurance of eternal life. So, we start on the first point, believe, and I'd just like to read again verses 27 to 29. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They then asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Jesus is saying here, not to work for food or stuff that will fade away, but to work for food that lasts into eternity. The crowd then asked, what must we do to do the works of God? They're asking, what does the work for the food that endures to eternal life actually involve? What does it look like? And then Jesus completely breaks the hard-working Galileans' expectation of needing to slave away and toil and labor and be perfect. And he explains that the work required is actually just to believe. Jesus is the one we believe in. And believing is not really hard work at all when we get to it. When we believe in Jesus, he comes into our lives and he fully satisfies us. By living a sinless life and dying on the cross, Jesus bridges that gap between us and God that sin has caused. This opens up the opportunity of relationship that we can have with Jesus, who is everything we need. And if anyone here today would like to chat more about this, or maybe begin their journey with Jesus, then please do come and chat to a leader or a member of the prayer team who will be on our left at the end. Now moving on to my second point, come to Jesus. I see a lot of hungry people out there in the world. 
searching for the next fix. Just like this chap is doing, I'm sure, at the top of this very tall ladder. I should probably explain for the people listening online, actually. So there's a picture on the screen of a city, a very tall ladder, and there's a bloke in a suit at the top looking and searching for something. People looked at all sorts of things in life to try and find that satisfaction. Some might look to relationships, or their job, or to alcohol, or money, or possessions, or any number of things. But they are not finding that true satisfaction. They are just finding a momentary high, and then they're back down, searching for that next fix. Sadly, in time, this can lead to broken people, broken relationships, broken families, broken communities, and even broken societies, which I believe we're seeing more and more on our streets and in our news. Even in this chapter in John 6, we see the Galileans were hungry for more in life. However, their hunger was misplaced. They were trying to find Jesus when he escaped to a mountain after he'd fed the 5,000, because they were going to be trying to make him king. And then Jesus went across the water and walked across the water to the disciples' boat. They were still trying to find him. But they were looking to Jesus, not to Jesus. They were looking not to Jesus, sorry, but they were looking to the bread that he had made. And Jesus points this out in verse 26. You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Put bluntly, Jesus is saying, you're only here because you're looking for bread. They were looking to their own physical needs and not to their spiritual needs. They were looking to the product of the miracle that Jesus had performed by making that bread and not to Jesus himself, the miracle maker. Jesus' signs and miracles are meant to make us look to Jesus. In this world, it is easy to focus on satisfying our physical needs and wants after all, isn't that the culture we live in? Getting whatever we want, whenever we want, have we want, and getting it now. Sometimes it's easy to always be looking for that next fix or that next best thing from the world to try and find that satisfaction. King Solomon, now he was a chap in the later part of his life who looked for satisfaction in the world and not to God. Initially, he started out pretty well as a humble servant, seeking God's wisdom and help as he reigned as king. But sadly, as he grew older, his heart turned from the one true God to the false gods of his many wives. He lived in absolute luxury. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He built houses for himself. He made vineyards. He made gardens. He made parks. He pretty much did whatever he wanted. He brought male and female servants and other slaves. He owned the most herds and flocks than anyone ever before him in the whole of Jerusalem. Now, we heard from Josh Roberts early in the series. And you know what? This guy had even more flocks than Josh Roberts and his family. He even had silver and gold and treasures. He had singers at his beck and call to entertain him. He, in his own opinion, was far greater than anyone in Jerusalem ever before him. And in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. 
But even with everything that he ever wanted, he still felt pretty rubbish. And this is clear in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, where he says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. It just shows that even though King Solomon had everything he wanted, he still wasn't truly satisfied. And we can't be truly satisfied by anything from this world. So where do we get this satisfaction from? Well, fortunately, Jesus tells us this in verse 35, which we can now read on the screen. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I think it's important to mention at this point that Jesus doesn't primarily come to satisfy our current desires, although he often graciously does. He actually comes to change our desire so that he is the object of our desire. And once we place him at the center of our field of vision, at the center of our lives, then we can find that true satisfaction in Jesus. You may be sitting there saying, well, it's all well and good saying we can find this true satisfaction in Jesus and that he can quench our hunger and he can quench our thirst. But How do we get this satisfaction? How do we stop hungering and thirsting for the things of this world? Well, we need to focus on two key words, again in this verse 35 that's still on the screen. Those words are come and believe. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. To come to Jesus means to believe in him. And to believe in Jesus means to come to him. In this context, believe and come mean the same thing. So that means that believing is not just an intellectual exercise of giving agreement to some religious doctrine. It means to come to Christ and to give yourself completely and utterly over to him. Towards the end of this passage, Jesus illustrates coming and believing by speaking about eating and drinking. So to come to Christ and believe in Christ means to receive him into ourselves just as we would receive food and drink. Let him in. Just like food and drink brings energy and life and some happiness to us, Jesus can do the same if we eat and drink him more and more and let him infiltrate into all areas of our lives. So, moving on to more literal eating and hunger... I am one for big meals. I'll admit, it is a weakness of mine. And if we can just have that next slide. So, as my wife Liz is very aware, I often can't resist getting the biggest meal on the menu when we go out for food. And this is especially when we're talking about pizza. Wow, it does look quite good up there, actually. But anyway, so, this is an 18-inch pizza, which I recently chose for myself. But Liz decided that she needed to share it, and I was a bit horrified. However, in the end, I gave in, and that was rather fortunate because it was huge. Each slice was more like an individual pizza by itself. And between the three of us, me, my wife, and my little daughter, Eleanor, we only ate half. (laughs) The stuff of this world, like that pizza, may look good. And I was pretty full after eating some of that pizza, but I wasn't satisfied I was happy when I saw the pizza, yes, but it didn't last that long. If I let it, pizza could control my life. (laughs) 
I could live my entire life searching for that next pizza. I could wake up in the middle of the night and pop out to buy more pizza. And if you ask Liz, she might say, that's what I do. But we probably shouldn't go there right now. No earthly thing or person can fully satisfy any human being. And that's what I'm trying to get across by putting the lovely pizza on the screen. Sadly, sometimes we do look to other things. We should probably take the pizza off the screen, otherwise we might get hungry. Sadly, sometimes we do look to other things or to other breads, and to try and find that satisfaction, we go astray. And that can snowball out of control sometimes, because as we try to find that satisfaction, we go deeper and deeper into whatever it is we're looking to, and that can form habits and even addictions in our lives. This is the devil's dream. He longs to come and steal and kill and destroy anything that's good and of God in our lives. So let's not our main desire, so let us not let our main desire be earthly things. I'm not saying all things are bad, excuse me, are bad, and some are good, especially in moderation, but this is a lesson which I still obviously need to learn. However, sinful habits need to be gone. But they're not just going to go easily. But Jesus can help you break that habit or that stronghold or that addiction. But once you've broken that, there may be a gap left when you step away from that habit. And that gap in your life can't be filled by anything or anyone else other than Jesus. So we need to come to Jesus and continue to hunger after him and then we will find that true satisfaction. Because if we don't do that, we may well just turn back to that habit or another one. Jesus needs to be our central core desire. It may not be a habit or a stronghold that needs breaking in you today. It may be that your hunger has just been slightly misplaced. Maybe you've been looking to satisfaction in the wrong bread. Maybe you've been looking for it in your job or a drug prospect or a relationship or a potential relationship or your popularity. Possibly you've been looking for completion by changing your appearance and changing the way you look with new clothes or by getting fit, by slimming down or if you're a guy, by going to the gym and bulking up. Or possibly it's a car or a house, or whatever it is that you may be looking for for satisfaction, nothing has still really brought you that peace, that joy, or that true satisfaction that you're still looking for. And if this relates to you, and I think it relates to all of us at times, definitely me included, then we need to turn from the thing or things that are pushing Jesus from that number one spot. And then once we put Jesus back in that number one spot where he loves to be, where he longs to be, and if we hunger primarily after him, then we will find that true satisfaction and then we will find that true identity and purpose which we were designed to have in the first place. Now, if you're sitting here, maybe you're feeling low or depressed or anxious Please don't think that I'm saying just because Jesus is the bread of life and that he can bring that satisfaction and joy that Christians can't be depressed. Christians do get depression and anxiety. It can happen to any of us. But Jesus does not leave you in the lurch. 
Jesus has come to bring you satisfaction too. So turn your gaze even more to Jesus. He is dependable. He has come to help you through whatever it is that you may be going through. He knows that situation inside out. And he will lead you through it by the hand. I'd already written that and then someone already spoke just before, just after the worship time about Jesus holding us by the hand. But I also wrote that he'll even carry you if you need it. Now, Jesus says he is the bread of life. But why choose bread? Why not watermelon? We could pick anything here. I just saw a couple of people just suddenly bob their heads back up. So if you did just wake up, we're not going to talk about watermelons for too long, don't worry. It's just a little aside. So, bread is a staple food unlike watermelons. We don't just go to the shop, buy a loaf of bread, come home and eat it, and then be full forevermore. Generally, we would eat bread regularly to keep our hunger away. And this is the same with Jesus. We can't just come to him once and then expect forevermore to be full. We will soon look to other distractions to attempt to fill us up. So we have to keep on looking and focusing on him. We need to come to him time and time again and carve out time from our busy lives for him. John Piper explains this by saying, we will still hunger and thirst every day, but now we know where to turn. Now we know what to eat and drink. We drink down Jesus. Jesus is the all-satisfying end of every longing. So moving on to point three, living eternally. So in this chapter, Jesus mentions eternal life a number of times. So I just wanted to mention and chat through a few things about this. In verse 47, he says, Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. But why is it so important to consider that if we believe that God gives us the awe-inspiring gift of eternal life, how does that actually impact us here and now? Well, in verse 39, Jesus says, This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given to me, but raise them up at the last day. Jesus is saying that he will keep us safe. We can be secure in the fact that if we believe in Jesus, he will get us a place in heaven. And we will not be lost in our journey through this world. We have security in Jesus. But this security in Jesus of eternal life, how does it change what we're doing right now? Well, it changes our focus in the here and now. And to show this, I just want to read 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's all about our focus. The enormity of eternity doesn't decrease whatever troubles, struggles, or pain you may be going through right now, but it does give us hope. So let's focus on that hope and not on the pain we may be experiencing right now. 
Now, I'd just like to share a true story of a famous golfer. This golfer was invited by the king of Saudi Arabia to play golf in a golf tournament. Now, I'm no golfer, so don't worry, you don't need to know the intricacies of golf to understand the story. This famous American golfer accepted the invitation, and he went and played golf for several days in Saudi Arabia. And he had a good time, there was good hospitality, he enjoyed himself, and as he was leaving, the king said, I'd like to give you a gift. What would you like? And the golfer initially said, no, that's fine, don't worry, it's been good, thank you for having me. But eventually the king was pushing him, saying, no, no, I am going to give you a gift. So the golfer said, well, I'd quite like a golf club, because I collect them. And the king's like, yep, that's fine, we'll arrange all that for you. On his way home, this American golfer was wondering what kind of golf club the king of Saudi Arabia might get him. Would it be a gold golf club? Would it be one studded with jewels? Who knows? He actually ended up waiting some days, checking the post every day, wondering why it was taking so long for this king to arrange a golf club to be sent. But eventually, a letter came. Again, another shock. He was expecting a package with a lovely new golf club, but he opened it anyway, and to his surprise, inside, he discovered a certificate of ownership to a 500-acre golf course, or some might say golf club. And I think this story just shows that kings think rather differently to you and me. When the king and the golfer thought about that gift, the golfer could not even grasp what kind of gift the king had in mind. Their minds were on completely different levels. And God has given us the gift of eternal life. And I think that sometimes, like this golfer, we are actually thinking about the reality of that gift like a single golf club. But the true reality is something more like a 500-acre golf course. Even this true story, however, doesn't really get close to describing what the gift of eternal life actually is. It's way beyond our wildest dreams. Our imagination just doesn't go that far. The other thing I think we can take from this is that because Jesus' death, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he has opened up the possibilities right now of a relationship with the king of the entire universe. Knowing the king of Saudi Arabia turned out pretty well for this American pro golfer. But for us, knowing the king of the entire universe is far above that. So let us not limit our expectation of what God wants to do through us. Who knows what he has for us on this earth as we continue coming to the bread of life. I'd just like to summarize and then we'll respond. So if we can just flick to the uh, summary slide. So, first we talked about believing in Jesus and giving our lives to Jesus. And then we talked about coming to Jesus and turning our satisfaction from our earthly desires to him. And finally, we looked a little bit at eternal life and we spoke about the security and focus that that brings us in the here and now. Then we mentioned how the king of the universe is here with us in this life and we can expect great things if we keep in relationship with him. So how do we respond? 
Well, if the band could come up, that would be, that would be really great. And if we can just flick to that next slide. For anyone who does not know Jesus personally, if you want to know more, or you maybe even want to commit your life to Jesus today, then please do come and chat to one of the leaders or to the prayer team who will be on my left at the end. For the rest of us, our response should be to what Jesus is really saying in this passage. He is saying, I am the bread of life. So turn from whatever it is that you may be finding life in. I am the bread of life. So turn from whatever it is you're finding life in. And my fear is today that we might look at the bread that is in our hands and then look back at Jesus and close our hands around that bread that's already in our hands. And we might say, I have all the life I need right here. I have all the life I need in my job. I have all the life I need in this addiction. I have all the life I need in this relationship. I have all the life I need in my dreams. I have all I need in this sin. If you're telling me, Jesus, that I have to give whatever it is up that I'm holding in my hands already, then I don't know. Maybe I might walk away from this. And if that's you, then let me plead with you that Jesus is the only bread that breaks for us. He died for us. Of all the other breads out there, every other bread will break you. It will perish. It will leave you wanting. It will leave you broken. And Jesus comes along and he says, I am the bread of life. He finds us starving to death with a stomach full of saviour substitutes, eating but still being hungry, drinking but still being thirsty, looking for life and never finding it. But here and now, we can choose to give up this bread, whatever it may be, in our hands and come to Jesus and take him again as the bread of life. We're about to sing the song, Hungry, I Come to You. And I feel today that there are some people who have that bread in their hands and that bread needs to be gone. That bread needs to be given back to Jesus. That bread needs to be dropped and left there. And then they need to take on the bread of life and continue in life holding on to that bread of life on the exciting journey that whatever it is that Jesus has for you next. And as I mentioned, I think as we begin this song, if that's you, if you're feeling that you need to give up whatever it is that you're holding on to and drop it on the floor, please, as this song starts, just come to the front now and drop that bread at the front here and pick up Jesus, the bread of life. Mm.